0: Good morning everyone. For those of you that might be uh, visiting here, uh, my name is uh, Rich and I work here and um at the end of the if this is your first time here. I'll be downstairs. i love to shake your hand. Maybe some of you have been coming through the month of July, and you're now you're like, who is this guy up here? Um, I'd love to meet you at the end of the service. It is really great to be back, and I, I so appreciate, really, the, the elders of our church that... Uh, allow me to take an extended uh, summer vacation to recover from a long year and it really uh, to take a vacation Like I'm, I'm out for the month of July it really is a great picture of the strength of our church The strength of our staff the strength of our leadership team the strength of all of you in this room many of my friends when they hear that uh, I'm off uh, for a month to recover from the previous year and to prepare for the next many of my friends are fearfully envious Uh, when they hear that I take a lengthy vacation. They're envious because they wish that they had the space to take that kind of vacation. They're fearful because they are afraid that if they were to take a long vacation, what is going to happen when they come back? And I'm so happy that I can come back to a church. None of you are worshiping the elk outside. I come back to the church. It's just like, you know, no one's outside like this with the elk. You know, it's just like, there's, there's no crisis when I'm coming back. It's just, It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. So uh, today's message really flows out of uh, the month of July where I've been in in prayer and in this particular passage in the book of Luke chapter 7, your bulletin says Matthew, but it's the same story, but it's coming out of the book of Luke. So chapter 7, I believe this is God's word for us today, and I believe God's going to speak to every single one of us in this room in a profound way. So let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us as we enter into this passage of scripture. Lord, thank you for gathering us in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we walk out of this building, having encountered you, your grace, your power, your love. May we be transformed from the inside out. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. When was the last time that you were amazed, just absolutely amazed, your breath taken away? We've all had moments in our lives where at one point or another, we were genuinely amazed by something or by someone. I remember in September of 2003, it was when I was first amazed at Rosie's Beauty, first amazed at Rosie's Beauty. It was like September or something like that, 2003, and I had met Rosie three weeks before, and about three weeks afterwards, she invited me to go to uh, this young adult gathering, and when I saw her at the young adult gathering, I remember the spot where I saw her, where I was absolutely amazed. I remember what she was wearing. She was wearing uh, these brown boots, these these blue jeans, this corduroy, like, olive color jacket. Her hair was blow-dried, so it was just, like, flowing there, too, (laughs) And I saw her at that, time so I was amazed. And I looked at her and said, girl, I was reading the book of Numbers, and I realized I didn't have yours. Okay, so. Yeah. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, but if you're looking for a line right there, a good Christian pickup line, uh, there you go. Just amazed at her. I remember driving uh, over the Tappan Bridge, and I was driving, and I saw this massive rainbow just covering and overshadowing the bridge, there. and I looked up as I'm driving and just utterly amazed by the beauty of God's creation. I remember being amazed at the birth of uh, our two children, of Karis and Nathan, and just a holy moment where I am amazed. This past week, I've been absolutely amazed by the New York Mets. They are in first place. They are amazing. Oh, I think one of our elders said to me, you know, Pastor, Rich, I've noticed that when you're on vacation, the Mets go on this, this winning streak and the play, if they make the playoffs, could you take off the month of October as well? I Might have to give that some thought there. When we think of the word amazing in the context of the spiritual life, uh, usually we are the ones that are amazed at God. Uh, we are amazed at God's grace. We are amazed at God's love. We are amazed at God's power. We sing songs like Amazing Grace. We sing songs that that speak to God's amazing power. But the Christian life, I believe, is to have another dimension to it. And I'm convinced that not only are we to be amazed by God, that from time to time, God is to be amazed by us, particularly amazed by our faith. The book of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I believe that God desires not just that we would please him with our faith, but that from time to time, we would amaze him with our faith. In our text this morning, we come across a story that is so powerful that it amazes Jesus. And usually when we read the Bible over and over again, we see that the people are amazed by something Jesus did. In this passage, we see that Jesus is amazed by something someone did. And this kind of faith is available for us as well to live. In Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent him, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. You would think that the person that amazed Jesus with his face was probably a rabbi. Or maybe the person that amazed Jesus with his face was was, was a disciple of Jesus. But in our story, uh, the person with great faith is neither of these things. This person has never even had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. This person is actually an enemy of the people of God. This person was a centurion. Now, a centurion was an officer in charge of a Roman century. That is, he was over. 100 soldiers. And the centurion in that time was recognized as one of the most powerful men in the land. He had military power. He had political power. He had economic power. He probably had physical power as well. He had all of Rome behind him at a single word. And this is who he is, a man with great power at his disposal. And the centurion is accustomed to getting things done by simply saying a word. If he says a the word, there's no debate, there's no conversation, there's no thinking about it. If he gives an order, if he gives the command, there is obedience. Whatever he says must take place. There is action. This past week, I, was, uh, I called my cousin David. David and I are the same age. We're uh, growing up best friends, best cousins. And uh, as we grow older, I, I took the route of vocational ministry, and he went the route of military and in the years that he's been in the military, he's advanced to uh, the rank of captain in, in the army. And so I called him this week as I was in this passage looking at this military figure in the centurion, and I wanted to get a contemporary perspective. And so I called him and I said, David, uh, give me a sense of how much power and, your th- and authority your words contain. How much power do your words carry? And in this very humble way, very humble uh, man, he, he said, well, almost sheepishly, he says, my, my, my words carry a lot of weight. And he says, when I give an order, I'm not just speaking from my personal power, I'm speaking from the authority that has been handed down to me. And so he said, if one of my soldiers refused to take heed to an order, they're not just uh, disobeying my authority, they're disobeying the authority that has been handed to me from, by my officer. And not only are they they're disobeying my, my officer, they're disobeying the officer over my officer and the officer over that officer and the general over that officer. And ultimately they are disregarding the president of the United States. Though he said, that's how much power my words have. This is the kind of power the centurion had. He has the entire empire of Rome behind him. And yet with all of his power, He could not change a particular situation in his life. And this is a good lesson for us. Because regardless of how much power we have, whether as individuals or whether as a country, regardless of how much political power we have, regardless of how much economic power we have, regardless of how much military power we have, there comes a point in in all of our lives where whatever power we have is useless to us and the only power that can really change somebody's life is the power of Jesus Christ alone. With all his power, he can't change his situation. And in his lowest moment... He comes to Jesus. There are certain environments that your word has power, and then there are certain places where your word has zero power. And he realizes my word has zero power in this situation. He needs Jesus. There comes a time in our lives when uh, we must recognize that although we might have power in some areas of our lives, that ultimately we lack the power and ability to change situations. At some point in our lives, we have to come face to face with the truth of our powerlessness. Age reminds us of our powerlessness and our limitations. Children tend to remind us of our powerlessness and our limitations. Sickness reminds us of our powerlessness and our limits. When I was away this past month, I was in Florida with my family and I, I saw my sister, Michelle. My sister, Michelle, about six years ago, had Stevens-Johnson syndrome, a skin disease. And her entire body was covered, as you can see in that picture there, just from head to toe. And six years ago, um, the doctor said she might not make it. There's a chance she might not make it. And if there was any, ever a moment where I felt powerless, it was at that moment. This is a picture for just a couple of weeks ago, the amazing power of God and the the wisdom of the medical uh, professionals there uh, able to bring her back to full recovery. But in that moment, I realized I have zero power in this area of my life. And in these moments, we have two options whenever we're faced with our powerlessness. We can try to live out of our own strength or we can put our trust in the power of Jesus. The centurion does what all of us should do When we uh, confront something that's beyond our control, and all of us in this room, there's some area of your life that you realize, this is out of my control. I have no power to change this. I have no authority to change this. I need something greater than me to intervene in this situation. So the centurion in verse 3 says, he heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And he says, Lord, my servant, and that word servant there in the Greek word, it could be rendered servant. It also can be rendered as son. And so commentators uh, differ. Is he saying heal my servant or is he saying heal my son? Or he might be saying uh, heal my servant. Uh, whom I love like a son. And so he's desperate asking Jesus, can you heal my servant? And I love what Dale Bruner, a New Testament uh, scholar says about this passage. He says these words. He says, we see a Jesus extremely eager to help because right before that in the gospel of Matthew in this text, the centurion says, "My, my, my servant is ill. He doesn't give Jesus a request. He doesn't say, come help." He always says, my my servant is ill. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus didn't even wait for him to say, can you come? Jesus, my servant is ill. Jesus, be right there. And he starts walking over to him. And Dale Bruner, this New Testament scholar, hears that, and this is what he says. He says, we see a Jesus extremely eager to help. And this is the picture our chapter wants to burn into the church's consciousness about the God whom Jesus represents and who in deep mystery somehow Jesus himself is. The Lord we worship is always inordinately ready to meet needs. It's like Jesus is saying, you just call on my name. I'll come running. You've got a friend. Lord, my servant is sick. Be right there. That's the kind of Lord we worship. That's the kind of Lord we follow. Where before he even gives out a request, Jesus says, I'm on my way. And so Jesus is on his way and word gets back to the centurion. Hey, Jesus is coming. Maybe he didn't think Jesus was coming, but now he hears that Jesus is coming. And so the centurion interrupts him and then says these words. He says, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even con- to consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus hears these words, and he is absolutely amazed. And the word amazed there is to be astonished out of one's senses. Another person said it's like almost, get the picture, Jesus' eyeballs have just come out this much here. He is amazed. Now, there are only two times in the New Testament where Jesus is amazed. Only two times in the New Testament where Jesus is amazed. The first time is in Mark 6, but when Jesus is amazed in this situation in Mark 6, he's amazed because of their unbelief. Look what it says. It says, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. That's the first time where Jesus was amazed. The second time where Jesus is amazed is in this passage right here. The first time it was because of their unbelief. The second time it's because of this man's incredible faith. And I want to look at why is Jesus so amazed at what this man said? Why is his eyes out this way? Why is he astonished in all of his senses? It's like Jesus is hysterical, amazed. Can you believe what this guy just said? Three really quick ways. Why why is Jesus so amazed? The first reason I think Jesus is amazed is because the centurion didn't have an entitled spirit. He didn't have an entitled spirit. I want you to notice that when people in the village hear about the centurion's problem, they try to convince Jesus that the centurion deserves it. They say, Lord, he built our synagogue. Look at all that he's done. He deserves to have his servant healed. But when the centurion hears about Jesus, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve to have you even come under my roof. People people have a certain perspective of him, but he knows what's really going on inside of himself. And he does not have an entitled spirit. He could have used his power to try to force Jesus to do something. To try to manipulate Jesus, but he realized that if Jesus does anything for me, it's pure grace, and if Jesus does anything for me, it is pure gift. And it's easy for many of us Christians, been Christian for a long time, we try to use out the, how we act towards God as leverage to get God to do something for us. Lord, I've been—you see how much I've been praying. Jesus, can you do something for me? I go to church every Sunday. Sometimes I go to two services. The least you can do is help me out here. And we, we try to use it a sense of entitlement. Oh, I deserve this. But Jesus, the centurion realizes, I don't deserve this. If God does anything for me, it's surely because of the grace of God. It's surely because it is his gift to do so. It's all grace. And so Jesus is amazed that this man was not entitled. The second reason Jesus was amazed is Jesus is amazed that this is an outsider with this kind of faith. The religious people did not get it. An unclean Gentile centurion saw what the people who were around Jesus all the time could not see. The people who were around Jesus all the time could, did not know who he was. The centurion who never had a face-to-face encounter knew exactly who Jesus was. And Jesus is absolutely amazed. And this should humble us as Christians. Because many times the people that have faith in Jesus, many times are, get this outside of the church. And sometimes it's easy for those of us that are accustomed to Jesus and religiosity, that we, we are the ones that really need to grow in our faith. And Jesus is amazed. He said, The religious people of the day don't get it. This unclean centurion gets it. And Jesus is amazed. But perhaps the the real reason, in addition to all those two, where Jesus is amazed, is because uh, the centurion says that Jesus doesn't even have to be present. In the passage in Matthew, right before this one, Jesus visits a leper and he places his hand on the leper. Jesus was present. And it showed his compassion to touch the leper who no one wanted to touch. Right after that, in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear the story of the centurion. One speaks of Jesus' compassion. The other one speaks of his absolute control and power. The centurion says, listen, you don't even have to be there. You know your word carries power if you don't even have to be there and people are listening. And so he says, Lord, you don't even have to be there. And he says, I I know what it's like to be under authority. And I know what it's like to have authority over other people. And Jesus is shocked because the centurion saw what very few people saw. The centurion saw that Jesus was under the authority of God. And because he was under the authority of God, Jesus had authority over the problems of the world. And very few of Jesus, even disciples, saw that. The centurion knows something about Jesus that few of his own disciples know. The centurion knows that Jesus' word carries creative power. Now, remember, the Jewish people mentioned that the centurion helped them build the synagogue. It says that the centurion built the synagogue, whether he gave money, whether he organized it. We don't know how it happened. It says he built the synagogue. And so imagine the centurion probably met some rabbis or some Jewish people in the village. And it is quite possible that in his interactions with them, that at some point or another, the centurion heard a reading of Genesis 1. where in the, the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And notice what it doesn't say afterwards. It doesn't say, how, it says how God did it. God did not go to a, a cosmic Home Depot and say, where can I get a big hammer? I just need a big hammer, some dirt to try to create. It doesn't say that God uh, did any of that. It simply says, God said it and it happened. Let there be light and there was light. Let there be a separation of the sky and the water, and there was the sky up there, and there was the water. Let there be birds in the air and birds appear. Let there be fish in the sea. His power, it was so his word was so powerful that all he had to do was say it. And it happened. And so imagine the centurion is hearing someone read the book of Genesis, chapter one. And then he's seen Jesus walk around and do all those stuff, and he makes a connection. The God in Genesis chapter 1 has visited us in the person of Jesus. And if he can speak light into existence, surely he can speak a word to offer healing to my servant. And Jesus hears this, and and Jesus is absolutely amazed because of the thing he says next. I know what it's like to be under authority, And I know what it's like to be over authority. The centurion understood authority. If I were to go on Queens Boulevard and you gave me a white glove and I said, I'm going to direct traffic, and I would go in the middle of Queens Boulevard and with a white glove on, dressed like this, and, and I would do this on Queens Boulevard. It's, it's called the Boulevard of Death for a reason. You know, if I, if I, if, if I was like this here, I, I last about 13 seconds uh, before uh, my hand is like over there. Okay, it's just like there. But if you gave me the same glove, gave me a uniform, gave me a badge, maybe a hat too, and, and, and I just stood out on Queens Boulevard and said like that there, every single car is going to stop. Now, what's the difference? Did I do push-ups in between uh, the time that I put the uniform on? Did I, did I gain some weight? Did I get stronger? Uh, did I grow some hair? What, what happened <laughs> that the cars now are stopping? I, I, I'm the same person. What's the difference? I, I had a symbol of authority, I had a badge that basically said, if you disregard this here, you're not just disregarding me, you're disregarding the entire New York state, you know, and and, everyone's going to go, they're going to stop right there. When Jesus was operating, they realized the powers of hell recognized that to disregard a word of Jesus was not just to disregard a word from Jesus, it was to disregard the God of Heaven and earth. The centurion understood authority. The authority that Jesus had. That Jesus wasn't some lone wolf out here. Jesus was under authority. And he's blown away because the centurion recognizes who he is. And centurion recognizes that if God is with Jesus, Jesus has amazing power. And so here's the, the encouragement for all of us in this room. There are times when our words fail us. There are times when our power runs out. But here's the truth. In our powerlessness, we are reminded that God's power never runs out. Your power might run out, but God's power never runs out. And what God is trying to get us to do is very simple. He wants us to recognize our powerlessness and our limitations because when we embrace our powerlessness, it positions us to experience God's power. The life of a person who's not rooting themselves in Christ is very obvious to see. When we are not rooting ourselves in Christ, we are functioning out of our own power. And we're functioning out of our own ability. And consequently, we're not experiencing God's power. And consequently, we're not experiencing God's ability. And one of the biggest challenges that we face is the refusal to confess our powerlessness. All of us in this room, in some area of our lives, we, there, there is this refusal that we all have to confess that we need help. All of us in this room have a hard time in some area of our lives saying, I need help. About three times a week or so, I have a conversation with Karis when, when, when school is out, and school, when, when she's in school, and I help her with her homework. And Karis has this, this, this sense of almost pride and, and shame where I'm saying, Karis, do you need help with it? No, I'm good. <laughs> and I go, but, 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 but the S is wrong. I mean, let me, just, let me just help you like correct the S. No, no, I don't need help. And I'm grabbing the pencil. No, 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 you need the help. We need the help. Give me the pencil. You need help. And she's like, and, and I have a little, you know, about three times a week this happens. Three times a week this happens. And one of the days after we had this, this whole thing where she refused to receive help, I was uh, Before I went to bed, I had an exam, which is basically I'm going through my day and looking at how did I see God, how did I miss God, and and I realized, oh, that moment when Karis, and I said, man, that girl needs to let me help her. And it was almost as if the Holy Spirit at that moment said, you are just like your daughter. Where do you think she gets it from? And it was almost at that moment where I realized it's so easy for me not to confess that i need help it is so easy for me to try to live on my own intellect on my own strength and my own creativity it is so easy to live that way and every time i live that way i deny the power of god that is available to flow in me and through me to say that like the centurion did the centurion had all the power in the world and he realizes i'm out of power I've run out of power. I need help. And for him to do that, he had to withstand two things that all of us have to withstand. Number one is shame to say I need help to some degree for some of it's such a, we feel so much shame in saying that. And part of it is because we come from shame based families and come from shame based cultures. And to say, I need help, that I'm deficient in this area that I need help in this area is to expose our weaknesses. But listen, all of us in this room, we're weak in some area. Every single one of us in this room, in some area of our lives, we are weak. And one of the best things that we can do for each other is to confess our weaknesses together. Because as Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. We're all weak, but we have to resist the shame. And shame is so heavy, everyone. To say, I, my marriage is failing, I, I, I need someone to help me here. Oh, the shame that so many of us feel. To say, my finances are out of order, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing here, I need someone to give me some kind of direction. The shame that we feel can be overwhelming. In the spiritual life, I, I, I just don't know what I'm doing with prayer, but if I were to ask for a help, so much shame. And the centurion pushed past the shame and said, I need help. And not only did he push past the shame, he pushed past pride and and pride and shame are two sides of the same coin and both keep us from confessing our weaknesses and consequently keep us from experiencing the power that God wants to show in our lives. Centurion said, listen, when when you get so low, all shame goes out the window. And sometimes God has to let us go that low. For us to say, you know what, Uh, later for the shame, later for the pride, can somebody help me? I need some help. And that's what I love about the centurion. If there's anyone who should have felt shame, it's him. He had all the power. He's known as a man of power, and yet he confesses, I don't know what I'm doing here. And so he resists the power of shame, and he resists the power of pride. And the greatest breakthroughs in our lives occur when we come to an end of ourselves and ask for help. And the faster we recognize this, the better. Isn't this the power of 12-step groups? Well, the first two steps of, of the 12-step program, the first one is, is basically this. We admitted that we were powerless over our addiction, that our lives had become unmanageable. I believe this should be, uh, th- this is not just uh, restricted for alcoholics, And folks addicted to drugs. This is every one of us in this room. There is some area that we are powerless over. All of us in this room. And one of the best things we can do is we can join our brothers and sisters in AA meetings and NA meetings and basically said, I am admitting I am powerless over my addiction. Whatever the addiction is, whatever the problem is, that my life has become unmanageable. But it doesn't stop there. The second step is powerful. I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. If you've never been to an NA group or an AA group, we should still be confessing this to God and confessing this to each other on a regular basis. Because in our weakness, God's strength is perfected. God wants to help so many of us in this room. But so many of us have never truly asked for help. Let's do a quick inventory of our lives. Some of you need help in your marriage because it's struggling. If that's the case, uh, we need to call on God. Do you need help to overcome some addiction? Do you need help because of some emotional instability, some anger, some depression that just you cannot control? Do you need help doing your job? Do you need help with a big decision that you need to make? Do you need help uh, because your financial world is a mess? Do you need help because you're stuck in the spiritual life? If the answer to these questions, if anyone is just yes, we are to first and foremost bring it to God, bring it to Jesus. And secondly, as God leads you to ask those around you for help. This is what it means to be a church. That we're not just coming on Sundays and saying, all right, guys, that was wonderful. Let's sing again. Let's, let's, Let's listen to a good message again. Let's do it again next week. No, no, we are here for each other. That when we are weak, we have other people around us who say, listen, I've been where you've been. I've sat where you're sitting. God delivered me from it. God can deliver you from it as well. We need each other as a church. This is why our small groups are so critically important. That we're gathering with other brothers and sisters around the city, basically uh, confessing to each other, we need the power of God in our lives. This is why we offer retreats and glasses. This is why I'm so happy we have therapists and counselors that come to our church here because we cannot do it alone. The centurion put aside his pride, and he didn't allow shame to cripple him. And he boldly comes to Jesus asking Jesus for help, and Jesus is amazed. And so how do we amaze Jesus with our faith? Very simply, the same way the centurion did. And it it looks like this here. The faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a person amazed by Jesus. Faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a person amazed by Jesus. The more and more you get to know Jesus, the more and more you will be amazed by Jesus, by his power, by his grace, by his forgiveness, by his provision. And the more and more we get to, this is why prayer is so important. Because the more we are amazed by Jesus, all of a sudden you realize, if he's that amazing, surely I can trust him with my life. Faith that amazes Jesus emerges from a person amazed by Jesus. And the mystery of Christianity is that it is by weakness that God saves the world. When Jesus goes on the cross, he, he rescues the world in a way that the world knew nothing of. The world would think, if you're going to rescue, you have to operate with power. Jesus operates with weakness. If you're going to save the world, surely you need some guns. Jesus dies on the cross. If you're going to rescue the world, surely you need the power of this world. And Jesus says no to the power of the world and says yes to the power of God's kingdom. And through a cross, rescues the world in weakness. And the power of this text really is in two simple truths. Our power runs out. God's power doesn't. And I believe that the power that was available for the centurion is available for every one of you in this room today. Some of you came to church today needing Jesus to say a word. One word of Jesus can undo years of disorientation and pain. One word of Jesus can bring healing when medical professionals are confounded. One word of Jesus can bring provision where you working two and three jobs can't cut it. One word of Jesus, just say the word. And that's the kind of faith that I believe the Holy Spirit wants to cultivate inside of us. Lord, just say the word. I want to invite the worship team to come forward and I want to give us an opportunity to ask Jesus to just say the word what use of is it if we just read oh that was wonderful for the centurion but we don't ask Jesus to do the same in our lives and the same uh, God that spoke the world into existence was the same God that the centurion saw that spoke healing to his servant and it's the same God that is present through the power of the Holy Spirit today that can say a word to something that is out of control in your life. And so I want to invite us uh, to stand together before we sing. And I want to pray over you today. And I want to pray that Jesus would send the word to a particular area of your life that is beyond your control, that is beyond your power, that great... uh, uh, Testimonies of faith and miracles would emerge. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want to just pray these words over you. And then we'll close in singing and in worship. Lord, I pray for those of us that are struggling in our marriages, that you would just say the word. For those of us battling sickness in this room, Just say the word. For those of us battling depression, emotional instability, Lord, bring renewal and restoration. We ask that you would just say the word. For those of us in this room in financial trouble, Lord, we pray that you would bring provision by just saying the word. For those of us in some kind of addiction, Lord, you set the captives free by saying the word for the racism that dehumanizes people in this country lord we pray you would bring reconciliation by just saying the word for those stuck in poverty in our city lord we pray that you would bring people out of it you just pray you would say the word for those of us in this room stuck in our spiritual lives not knowing how to move forward. Lord, we pray like the centurion did with faith, believing that whatever you do is pure grace, pure gift. We ask that you would say the word. Lord, I pray that this week we would experience miracles, experience a transformation in our lives, that situations would bow to your authority, that sickness would bow to your power, That poverty would bow, Lord, to your authority. That despair would bow to who you are. We ask that you just say the word. And Lord, help us to rest in the confident trust that because of your love for us, you are eager to help. So Lord, we sing to you now words of worship, words of praise, confessing you are a strong, Now, it's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, The centurion is a model of faith for us. So many of us in this room, I I truly believe because I've lived it myself, where I, I was not living in the kind of power that God made available for me because I never confessed my weaknesses. I never confessed, Lord, I need help here. And so... The ways that we begin to confess our weakness and position ourselves for for God's power is really by two things. It's prayer and it's community. It's prayer. My prayer is that God would cultivate such a, a spirit of dependence on him through prayer. That every day, we can't go a day without saying, Lord, I'm weak, but you are strong. My prayer is that we would every day cultivate a life of prayer. Whether it's one time a day, two times a day, three times a day, being with God. And essentially saying, Lord, every breathing moment that I have here, I need you. We need prayer, and we need community. A lot of us say, no, 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 me and Jesus got it together, me and Jesus, but notice the centurion went through people. He had to confess his, his weakness to other people and say, listen, I don't know what to do. Can you, can you give a word to Jesus for me? And sometimes that's what we need to do as well. We, it's not just me and Jesus having a good time how does God, God's power come through community? And when we have our prayer team here, we're really it's the convergence of prayer and community together. Whenever you come up for prayer, what you're basically saying is, I'm weak. I don't have all the answers. But what you're also doing is you're positioning yourself for the power of God to visit you and flow in you and through you in a powerful way. And so for those of you today, you're at the end of your rope you realize my marriage is out of control, my sexual life is out of control, my financial life is out of control, I don't know what I'm doing spiritually here, but you never said, God, would you help And you never confessed it to someone else either. Today is your day. And I believe there's breakthrough waiting for many of you in this room as you simply confess, I'm weak because in your weakness, God's strength is perfected. We have our prayer team that I'd love to pray with you. And we have the Lord's table here, which is the epitome of power coming through weakness let me take bread dip it in the cup as a reminder that jesus christ was broken and bruised that the way of salvation did not come through the way of the world's power it came through the way of god's power and god's power many times looks like weakness he's broken and bruised and says take this bread take this cup i was broken and poured out so that you may have life so if you'd like to receive that you can come up the center aisle There. But as we close here, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, we close every gathering like this. Because this posture is a posture of weakness. You're basically saying, Lord, I don't have power, but you do. If you give it to me, I will live differently in the world. So With your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may He keep you. May He shine His face upon you. May He fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, asking for help where you need it. And may you experience the power of God's transformational grace. May you meet him in new ways. And may he send the word to rescue you and set you free. So I bless you all today in the strong and beautiful in the resurrected name of Jesus and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.